Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 193. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Welcome to the baseball playoff season. Welcome to the heart of football season. And welcome to the late fourth quarter of election season. And if you've ever played any sport, you know now is a time to stay vigilant. On a call with President Trump's White House National Security Staff in early January 2021, Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist had warned about the potential that the Capitol would be the target of the attack. Here's General Mark Milley, who was also present for this call, describing Deputy Secretary Norquist's warning. So during these calls, I only remember it in hindsight because he was almost like clairvoyant. Um, Norquist says during one of these calls, the greatest threat is a direct assault on the Capitol. I'll never forget it. The greatest threat is a direct assault on the Capitol. And I'll never forget it. Mark Milley is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the highest ranking military leader in America. That direct assault on the Capitol is what happened. That threat was real. And this week, again, the January 6th committee held open hearings. And we all saw yet again, with newly released video, how real and how dangerous that threat was. It was as real as it gets. And so was that hearing. It underscored how real the threat was. We saw more footage of domestic terrorists breaching the Capitol, attacking police, and hunting down members of Congress. We also saw what it was like inside for those members of Congress. How some of them, like Senator Josh Hawley, stepped away. And how some of them, like Speaker Pelosi, and Vice President Mike Pence stepped up. And you saw the real them, what they look like when the pressure is on, in the big moment. And if you've ever been around Speaker Nancy Pelosi, you know this is who she really is. She's an experienced, effective, strategic, and strong leader. One of the best I've ever seen up close. And no matter how you feel about her politically, you have to respect her command presence in these vital moments. That was what leadership looks like. And we're all lucky that it was her on that day and not somebody else. And there was also this gem. Secret Service said they have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol Hill. They told him they don't have the resources to protect him here. So at the moment, he is not coming, but that could... Change. Change. Oh, he comes, I'm going to punch him out. This oh, is my no, mom. I would pay to see that. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. Speaker Pelosi is most of America. Most of America wants to punch him out. Most of America that puts country ahead of party. Most of America that didn't want to storm the Capitol. Most of America that's had enough of Donald Trump. But unfortunately... Most of America wasn't watching that hearing. If they had been, 
they would have seen how it underscored how real the threat was and how it also underscored how real the threat of extremism still is now, almost two years later. Because almost two years later, there's still no accountability. But maybe that will change. Because in the big moment, in the bottom of the ninth, there was some drama, and the hearing ended like this. Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes and zero noes. It was a dramatic moment, a built-for-TV moment, and an important moment. The January 6th committee voted 9-0 to zero to subpoena former President Donald Trump. President Mayhem will be subpoenaed. It's come to this. It's come to this. Sadly. But it's necessary for all of us. And for the country we love and must protect and defend always from enemies foreign and domestic. And it's because of only one person, him, and he must be held accountable. It's long past time for accountability, for him especially, but also for others, many others. Did you know the FBI is still looking for suspects from January 6th? The FBI posts photos almost daily on their Twitter account because some of the attackers from January 6th are still out there just in time for another election that they may or may not accept. This election season, the American insurgency and extremism remains America's number one national security threat, and we can't lose focus on that and on accountability after January 6th, because the future of our country is at stake. It's bigger than any game. It's bigger than any playoff. It's bigger than any World Series title. And we've all got to stay vigilant, especially this election season, because stakes is high. In the big moments, stakes are high, crazy high. And this election season is massive. It's the World Series, Stanley Cup, NBA Finals, Super Bowl of elections. At least until the next one. The results of the election this fall will determine the trajectory of our country. On issues from abortion, to guns, to national security, to Ukraine. And we're going to continue to keep the focus on Ukraine. And this week, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has made it clear. He warned that the GOP may cut back on Ukraine aid if his party wins the House. He was quoted by Punchbowl News, now Nancy Pelosi's favorite media source, by the way. And McCarthy said, I think people are going to be sitting in a recession and they're not going to write a blank check to Ukraine. That's what Kevin McCarthy said. And as I've outlined on this show since the war in Ukraine started, it's what Vladimir Putin is counting on. He's hoping to drag this out into the fall when there could be a change in the House and a drop in support in America. And he hopes to drag it out even further until Trump rises and maybe even wins on a platform of promising to cut support to Ukraine. 
And it understandably has our Ukrainian allies nervous. And it has our enemies celebrating. But I think McCarthy is misjudging the American people on this. He's definitely misjudging and disregarding counsel from the Department of Defense, the State Department, and other people close to it all. Because Americans don't back down. Americans don't leave our friends hanging, generally. Now, Afghanistan was, of course, a disgraceful exception. But Americans don't quit when things get tough. Americans don't leave our allies alone because we have problems too. Especially in NATO, we're all in this together. And nobody in NATO whined about inflation in their home country when we got hit on 9-11. And we can't do that now with Ukraine. Kevin McCarthy is playing politics. He's a hack trying to get cheap votes. He's weak need. And he needs to check himself and decide if he stands with America and our allies or he stands with Putin like Trump and Elon Musk and Iran and others. Either you're with us or you're against us. And this election season especially, it's time to stand up and be counted. It's time to step up to the plate and show the world who you really are. And stepping up to the plate goes for tech billionaires too. And unfortunately, Elon Musk is still in the news. Last episode, we dug into his lack of patriotism with Professor Scott Galloway. And since that pod dropped, Elon's only doubling down. He continues to fuck around. And this week, maybe after feeling some pressure from most of the free world for whining about the cost of Starlink internet systems in Ukraine, the billionaire tweeted, okay, we will add a donate option to Starlink. You want us to donate? To pay you, one of the richest guys on the planet, to help defend freedom? How are you any different from so many other war profiteers? That is why Scott Galloway, me, and so many others question Elon Musk's patriotism. What Elon Musk is doing with Starlink is disgraceful and dangerous. Starlink going down on Ukrainian soldiers in the middle of fight now is like the M-16 failing U.S. troops in Vietnam in 1966. It's inexcusable, and it will cost lives. If you don't know the story, the early versions of the M-16 would jam and leave soldiers completely vulnerable, sometimes just feet away from the enemy, and sometimes to die. So fix it, Elon Musk. Just fix it. We're not talking about putting a man on Mars. And if you'd ever been a trigger puller, or had your own kid in combat, maybe you'd understand. Because in combat, you see who rises to the big moment and who shrinks in it. Just like in football, in baseball, in parenthood, in life. And this October, there is no shortage of moments that need rising to. And that includes on the political battlefield as the great fragmenting continues. That's what I started calling it last episode. Go back and check out that one if you missed it. With the dysfunctional two-party duopoly continuing to fail more and more Americans, 
more and more politicians are jumping ship, and more will continue to do so. Maybe Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who's the vice chair of the January 6th committee, will leave the GOP. Maybe Congressman Adam Kinzinger, who also sits on that committee. He's one of only two combat veterans. He's been a guest on this show in January on episode 149, in March on episode 159, and he'll join us again on this show soon. But maybe Kinzinger will leave the GOP. And maybe our guest in this episode will leave the GOP. The group he used to lead. Maybe. I'll ask him. We'll see if he's going to test the free agent market. And we'll see if he soon, too, will be joining the Great Fragmentation. I'll ask him why he's still a Republican. What he sees for the future of his party and why he didn't join the forward party. Because the forward party needs more leaders, better leaders, and independents need more leaders, better leaders. I dug into that last week, too. Because movements are built, fueled, and led by unique, transformative leaders. It's always been the case. And it's especially true in this moment. We're still looking for our ace. We're still looking for our cleanup hitter. And the one true political spirit animal for independence now is not Andrew Yang. And it's not David Jolly. And it's not Christy Todd Whitman. And it's probably not Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger. Our political spirit animal is George Washington, the last and only president to stand without a party as a true independent in the biggest moment of his time. But in the next few weeks, as the election season ends and a new one for president begins, more and more leaders will emerge. And we will see. And as the Great Fragmentation continues, there are lots of other battles underway. Lots that reveal the growing opportunity for independence, including here in New York. Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul has a healthy lead, 11 points according to Siena or 8 points according to a Marist poll, but they all show that her lead is shrinking. Siena had Hochul up by 17 points on Lee Zeldin just last month. So the Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin is surging. He's a Trump-supporting, pretty far-right-wing guy. Not the kind of person you'd expect to be popular in New York. But this is very much a reflection of the weakness of the Democrats' brand right now, especially with a candidate in Hochul that's still pretty new to many people, and especially with independent Americans, and even in a very blue state like New York. Now, I continue to believe this fall that statewide elections for Democrats will not be as favorable as the recent special elections, like the congressional race that elected Pat Ryan to Congress from New York, especially when it comes to independent Americans. Now, I dug into it with Pat Ryan on why his race is a playbook that many Democrats are still not using. Go back and check that episode out. But this week, I tweeted about how Zeldin was gaining on Kathy Hochul. And my old friend Tyreek Tulloch, a Marine from Long Island, wrote and said, Considering how Zeldin put aside his status as a veteran and voted against the PACT Act, this should be a no-brainer. He has put party before country on multiple occasions. And my friend Tyreek is right. But even so, Zeldin's still only down by eight, maybe less. And it's a reflection of how unpopular the Democratic brand is right now. And how unimpressive Hochul's been. 
but it also shows that there's an opportunity for an independent candidate in New York, just like so many other places. So what do you say, Tyreek? You'd have my vote. Now, whether or not Tyreek runs now or in the future, this is a race to watch. And there are lots of other battles underway, some below the radar, some that are especially critical to independent Americans. John Fetterman versus Dr. Oz isn't the only political battle happening in Pennsylvania. There's a battle to expand and defend open primaries that's happening nationwide, and Pennsylvania is the front line, with NFL legend and Vietnam vet Rocky Blyer on point. We've talked about it on this show before. Veterans are overwhelmingly independent, nearly 50%. But in Pennsylvania, that means 375,000 vets are shut out of voting in primary elections because they opted out of the two parties. They served our country, but they're barred for participating in the first round of voting. It's bullshit, and it's got to change. And this Friday, October 21st at 2 p.m., I'm going to be co-hosting a discussion with our friends from Ballot PA and Open Primaries. We're going to talk to an expert panel of advocates, veterans, and family members and dig into why closed primaries disenfranchise active duty and military veterans. I'll be joined by Todd Connor from Veterans for Political Innovation and David Thornburg from Ballot PA and our friend John Updike from Open Primaries. If you want to join us, look for the link in the show notes, Friday, October 21st at 2 p.m. From New York to Pennsylvania, from Texas to California, one thing is for sure, no matter how this election goes, the great fragmentation of America and our politics will continue. But before we all go our separate ways... There's an election in three weeks, an election to determine the future of everything. And we got a fantastic guest in the booth to help us break this down. Another important, inspiring, and iconic American who is shaping what America's been, what it is, and what it will be. Another professor of sorts. Now, in the past couple of episodes, we had a professor of nukes, Joe Serencione. We had a professor of war, Malcolm Nance. And last episode, we had a professor of business, the great Scott Galloway. And now we've got a professor of politics in the booth to call this one with me. A man who understands baseball seasons, a man who understands football seasons, and a man who understands political seasons. And we're going to talk about all of it. And we're going to go around the horn with more quickness than the Yankees disposing of the Guardians in Game 5. This man's been a fixture in American politics for decades. He's bad at cleanup, he's bad at leadoff, he's been a utility player, and he's been in the clubhouse. He is the former chairman of the Republican National Committee, former lieutenant governor of Maryland, he's a political analyst on MSNBC and an occasional host, and he's the host of his own influential political podcast. Now, he's used to taking a tough position. He's used to being in the minority. He's been a Republican on MSNBC. He was the first African-American elected to statewide office ever in Maryland. He's a rational, thoughtful, moderate member of the GOP. And he's a passionate fan of the Washington Commanders. And he is ready for the final push of this election season. And he's ready to step up to the plate. Now batting, Michael Steele.
Michael Steele is here and he is ready to play ball. Michael Steele was born on October 19th 1958 at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. And he's joining me for a conversation that we recorded on his birthday, October 19th. Now, Michael served in all levels of elected and government office. He ran for the Maryland Senate seat in 2016, and he's often suggested as a candidate for president. He's worked in the minors, he's worked in the majors, and he's worked his way all the way up to the World Series level of politics. And he's going to make some predictions in the biggest matchups facing America this fall. From Fetterman to Oz, from Rubio to Demings, from Warnock to Walker, from McMullen to Lee. And the big one, Democrats versus Republican. Other shows focus on what's happening. In this pod, we're going to focus on what's next. And we're going to run down every big race in this election season and make predictions, including whether or not he will leave the GOP, and whether or not he'll run for office again. It's a 100-mile-an-hour fastball of a conversation that will help you get smarter, predict better, and, of course, stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, and October is the time when the real stars shine, in sports and in politics. Whether it's Reggie Jackson or Barack Obama, October is the time when victory is determined. The time when the stars shine. Welcome to playoff season. Welcome to the playoffs of politics. It's time to play ball. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 193. gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, trackers of national security, trackers of politics, trackers of football. We're going to get into all of it. It is the busy season. It is it is the final fourth quarter of politics. And we are bringing in a a Hall of Fame quarterback when it comes to <laughs> politics, a man who I admire, a friend uh, and a real important voice on, on the American uh, landscape, the great and powerful Michael Steele is <laughs> on Independent Americans. Welcome, sir. Thank you, man. I could have used you when I was at the RNC, man. I love the hype, man. I love it. Well, they could use a lot at the RNC right yeah, now. Yeah, well. So I was saying uh, before we got started, uh, you got to start for the folks who are watching on video. What is that behind you? You have a very cool. Graphic. So this is this is one of my favorite uh, uh, screens from uh, John Wick. I am a huge uh, John Wick fan. Um, Keanu Reeves uh, is just an incredible uh, actor in 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 that series. And so this, I love this. is from the Continental. Uh, this is the switchboard at the Continental. And so we just bring a little bit of the vibe, you know, just let you know how we roll just a little bit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Ke Keanu Reeves used to live in my building and showed up at our Christmas party with no shoes on. That makes perfect sense. And he was super nice to everybody. He, had, he would have like no shoes and a motorcycle helmet and was super nice to everybody. He is. He is. He's really one of the coolest dudes out there. And 
Uh, everything I've heard and read about him, when he, particularly when he meets people, he is very authentic, very, very relaxed and cool about it. So this is my homage to him and John Wick. I can't wait till the new movie comes out in March. So we're we're stoked. We're stoked. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to ask you to be a little bit of a John Wick in politics. We're going to talk about politics, national security, maybe sure. a little bit of football. Um, <laughs> I'm ready. I got I got my cup, baby. Well, I'm ready. I mean. <laughs> we we got to start with football because you're a Maryland guy and I'm a New York guy. And I just want to thank you uh, for for giving us a win this weekend. We appreciate it. We really needed you it. Know, uh, you, you know, this is not how you start off a conversation, brother. This is, is not. No, this is not where we go from here. I, well, look, Ravens and Giants match up. It's always they do. Fun, right? It's they, always fun. They do. Um, look, you you just caught us a little flat footed, but I have to give props to the Giants. I, look, they are they are in a team a team ascendant. Uh, they're making uh, this division in the East very competitive. Uh, everyone, you know, got on the hype train with Dallas. I'm like, you know, bunk that. That's just not the road you want to be on. Philly and Giants. I mean, I think Philly's Philly by far the best team right now in the NFL. Um, they proved it six and zero. They proved it. Um, so now everybody's gunning after them. Um, I think their upset is going to come inside the division. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, now my my Commanders. <laughs> you got a couch. <laughs> I need some therapy, brother. I need some therapy. So, so hold on, I got to stop you there. So, Commanders, you're a Commanders fan. Yeah, well, I'm a native Washingtonian. I oh, grew so up. I, you I had to cheer for Baltimore because you were, a, you know, a politician. No, you- no, no, no. I'm a native Washingtonian. Uh, my parents still live in D.C. We still, we still root Burgundy Gold. I also uh, root the black and purple. Um, uh, you know, I love the Ravens, uh, followed that story. I re- I remember when the Colts bolted, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was at Hopkins at the time. And, and, uh, that was a very sad day in football, uh, for the region. But, um, yeah, no, I, I love the Ravens. I do root for the Ravens. Um, and, uh, this past weekend was just a small hiccup on the way to, you know, kicking some behind a little bit later on. Mm. Well, I would have no problem meeting them again in the Super Bowl, but I think the Giants, you know, they're a fragile five and one is what I would call them. I think that's I think, fair. That's I think fair. That they've got some real magic going on. They've got uh, strong leadership. I think finally with Coach Dable, who's like bringing them together and yep. they got something that I think people really underestimate. They got Saquon and not just as a player, yeah. but as a leader. He's an yeah. impressive young man. He works. Yeah. He's like the closest thing to Derek Jeter we've had, I think, in terms of his leadership in the city. Now Aaron Judge and others. But Saquon is just I think he shows what leadership can do. What really well, the thing is, he stepped down. up this year. I, I think there was a lot of expectation for him after last season to come into this year, you know, battling all the, the injuries and all of the, the issues, um, the, the unsettled nature of the team with, uh, you know, a young quarterback uh, and all of that. And to your point, I think he's really risen to the occasion where he's sort of taken on that mantle where he's going to shoulder uh, shoulder the burden of the team, you know, with his runs. And he's done some powerful running. I mean, he's he's pretty much, you know, one of the top leaders in the league right now. Um, But to your point about keeping the team cohesive and pushing him in that direction towards each win. I mean, look, I mean, a couple of these games were close. They very easily would have been losses last season, 
um, without a doubt. And I think that kind of leadership on the sidelines and on the field makes a difference. It's something we're lacking in Washington, um, and we've been lacking it for a long time. Some of it has to do with the ownership, which is a whole nother bucket of bat, you know what, crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But when you look at the division as a whole, those three teams, uh, New York, Philly, Cowboys, turning themselves around in such a short order. Again, it's the leadership on the field and off the field that makes a difference, and, and the Giants are a good example of it. It's no longer the NFC least. It's back to being NFC beast, right? right. It's the NFC, NFC beast with the with the, the commanders, gimpy, with the commanders, with the gimpy leg. Who, with commanders who most Americans don't know where they play, like the Guardians and some other newly branded. But let's – I actually want to use that to pivot into, into expanding our conversation about leadership. Sure. Talk about a guy that we've had on this show that I think has been an ascendant, transcendent leader in your home state of, of Maryland, Westmore. I mean, he had a debate uh, in the last week. I think he crushed it. It was maybe one of the starkest contrasts we've seen in right. with Westmore, the, the positive unifier versus Dan Cox, the election denying Trump apologist hack. Right. It right. was really a stark contrast. But you've seen a lot of politicians. I've had him on this show. He's a good friend. Um, I'm a big supporter of him. I told him I'd support him no matter what you know, party he ran from. I wish he ran as an independent, but I get right. he ran as, as a Democrat. Can you I think he's the most charismatic politician I've ever met. And I, I put that next to Obama. Right. I met yeah, Obama. no, I, I Michelle Obama is close. Right. But can you talk about what you see in Wes and how great his potential can be? Because I think he could be president. I think he I think he's more likely to be president. So than I, not. I, I, I think people need to just chill on the presidential talk. Um, I, I, it's, it's the advice I gave to Kamala Harris in 2018. She didn't listen, but, you know, um, but the presidential campaign didn't go quite the way they told her it would go. Um, and right now as vice president, she is not the odds on favor to succeed Joe Biden among Democrats. So people need to chill on the whole presidential thing, because at the end of the thing, what, what folks need to understand about politics is you've got to prove your ability to govern. You've got to prove your ability to lead. Um, and that's going to be a challenge for Wes. I mean, just straight up. I mean, the, the economy is. Um, is going uh, into a downspin a little bit. Um, there are a lot of political pressures right now. Democrats have been out of power in the state for eight years. Um, and the the legislature is way more progressive than the general population of Democrats. Uh, and so there's going to be this internal structure uh, struggle uh, between uh, the governor's office and the Democratic-led uh, uh, led legislature as to what types of legislation he's going to get behind and promote. Um, he will not have the the same grace uh, that graces that uh, that Hogan had in terms of being able to navigate and negotiate because Hogan was the opposite party and he had the popularity of the of the people behind him. Uh, it's a different story when you're from the same party. So I, I I'm watching um, obviously want him to be successful because we need our governors like our presidents to be successful regardless of party. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping him, well, hoping the best for him. I've known him a long time like you and have watched him. But, you know, already people are start talking about he's going to, you know, run for president. I'm like, dude, can he just get inaugurated first? Mm. And can, without, he get, without, can he without, get through his first legislative session and see how that stacks up? Yeah, with, all, with all due respect, Michael, like it, it, 
Obama didn't really need that. Trump didn't. And that didn't Trump turn didn't out really too well for him. No, either. but but they did get the presidency, right? And yeah, I think but is, I mean, look, it's one thing to have the job; it's another to be successful in it. And sure, and sure, sure. and and so you know that. But so weird. But, but, but taking a step back, how, what do you make of him? What what, what you know, how do you size him up? If he's a quarterback, if he's a quarterback in the NFL. You know, is he is he Aaron Rodgers in the making or is he Mark Sanchez in the making? Like, No, I, I think that remains to be seen. He's never run a government. He's never been. A, he's never held political office. I mean, and so a lot of people, you know, look, at the end of the day, you know, people think that running government is easy. Oh, anybody can do it. No, they can't. Right. Donald Trump proved that. No, uh, you just and those those skill sets don't translate one for one. Businessmen do not make good governors, just like governors may not make good businessmen. Mm. So, I mean, you know, people look at politics like, oh, anybody can do it. No, not anybody can do it. Charisma and communication are just the beginning of the skills you need to do the job. Mm. And so having never, never run. Uh, or managed government is not the same as managing or running a nonprofit. Right. And so that's why I say I I look county chairman, state chairman, national chairman. So when it comes to politics, I know a thing or two. I know candidates. Mm -hmm. I know the difference between a candidate and an incumbent. And so what I'm saying is all the beautiful accolades aside and they're all good and true. He has great potential to be Aaron Rodgers. But he's he may show a little Mark Sanchez first. <laughs> and I think people need to appreciate that as part of the journey. Right. If he can overcome that sort of that Mark Sanchez in him mm -hmm. on his way to become an Aaron, then we can have later conversations after, you know, in a second term, what that looks like. Got it. Got it. That's all I'm saying. I, I look, I, I'm a huge uh, fan, I, Wes and I have talked uh, a lot um, during his campaign. Um, we text each other from time to time. Um, he had strong performance, but he's not being challenged in this election. It's true. It's 100 percent true. Running, he's, running against, he's running yeah. against a god awful gadfly numbnut candidate that even the governor said, there's no way in hell I'm supporting this guy. I've said that. Yep. So if he were running against um, you know, the secretary of commerce, uh, when, you know, who didn't make it through the primary, if he was running against, um, you know, any other Republican that was presenting, uh, sort of a Larry Hogan-esque kind of, right. uh, strategy and approach, that's a very different race for him. And so he's not been challenged in, in this effort. So my point is this challenge is going to come with, within his own party. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I want to talk a bit more later about independent politics. And maybe yeah. this is an example of one of those races where there's more of an opportunity for an independent uh, candidate than, than many folks see. And that's probably true in a lot of the races that I want to go through with you. Sure. I skipped an important question. I always ask everybody, where are you and how are you? So where in the world are you? I know you got John Wick's scene behind you. Yeah. Where, but where are you? And I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm in my home office here in Prince George's County, uh, Maryland. And uh you know, it's uh, just kind of chilling, doing well, uh, having fun. Um, today's my birthday, so I'm celebrating oh. that, you know, so I get celebrated with you, my friend. Uh, and uh, but, yeah, I'm just chilling, man. I'm kind of trying. I'm trying to live a dream. <laughs> but people out there just keep trying to strip it down. So I'm like, 
Well, number one, happy birthday. Number two, I want to talk about this landscape and stripping it down and leadership or their lack of and kind of go around the horn here. Sure. Things you've been really, I think, thoughtful and and you kind of have to talk sense to liberals on MSNBC on a regular basis, which is something I've been doing for almost 20 years. So I I have I can relate to to that part of it. Um, There's a lot of euphoria coming out of the special election. We had Pat Ryan on this show. And I think maybe a lot of uh, false positives for the Democrats and what's coming up. And I continue to talk to a lot of folks that are not watching MSNBC and that are maybe not, you know, massive news consumers. Right. The election three weeks out, uh, inflation and the economy, you've been talking about how it's really the number one issue. Who, 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 who keeps who holds the House? If you had to make a prediction right now, are the Dems going to keep the House or the Republicans going to take? So so uh, probably up till about two weeks ago, my analysis um, led me to believe the Democrats had the ability to to gain a few seats in the House and hold it. Um, now, there's still aspects and elements of that that I think are true. The problem is white suburban women. Um, not a reliable vote for for Democrats. Um, they tend to be they tend to be more center right in their leaning, so they tend to go back home to the Republican Party, or they tend to go back towards Republicans um, if things get a little bit skittish. Which is why the Republicans play, as we've seen in the 2018 cycle, the 2020 cycle, and now in this cycle, playing to the fears of white suburban women. 2018, there was this caravan of, oh, my God, they're coming to your neighborhood. In 2020, it was black folks in in Section 8 housing being built in your neighborhood. And and now in 2022, it's a combination of uh, CRT and, um, you know, we saw in the Yunkin campaign uh, and other elements tied into the economy uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about how they're coming to replace us, you know. So it's it's that that aspect of it is changing some of the dynamics on the ground where I think folks are beginning to go. Well, maybe maybe I'll just you know put the Republicans in charge of the House. Here's the problem with that: when you do that, understand what you're getting. You're not getting uh, a policy that's going to address inflation and the economy. Why? Because there is none. Inflation, neither party can control it. Inflation is driven by what's going on globally. Inflation was driven by the pandemic and the $4 trillion that was spent between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. You put that kind of money into the economy without without any other drivers. Oh, supply chain. Then that gets uh, screwed up. And you can't get good. So you've got all people with all this cash and no no ability to get products to them. They come out, they want to spend, they spend on whatever they can. That's why a damned used car costs as much as a new car. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things, Republicans and Democrats can't control, Paul. They just they, they just can't. So when they sit up there and act like they can, they're lying to you because they can't. It is driven by the market and the market are the world economies, including our own. It's Wall Street. It's 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 um, London. It's Beijing. It's all the all these capitals that uh, have influence of how this plays itself out. So there's that piece. The other thing is what we do know. They've told us 
We're going to investigate Hunter Biden. We're going to try to impeach Joe Biden. We're going to uh, go after the January 6th uh, committee members, uh, starting with Liz uh, Cheney, who won't even be in Congress. Um, so voters and need national, to add, a na- national vote on abortion, right? National abortion. national vote on abortion. Yep. When they told when they told people, yep. no, we don't know. Yep. This is something that belongs with the states. But before we get to that, Michael, right? So you, you got to make a pick right now. Are the Republicans going to have the House or the Democrats going to have that? I think right now the Republicans will have the House um, by virtue of white suburban women going back to the Republican Party. Um, Their concern over the economy will outweigh their concern for the abortion rights of their daughters. I I think there's basically it. Yeah. And ne- never underestimate the capacity of the Democrats to, to snatch defeat. Well, from- there right? is that. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, well, I think and I think, you know, Biden can't be consistent on the messaging. I, I think a big problem that they don't recognize is he keeps saying the economy's good and it's not. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't. Well, feel good so but, I know. but here's your right. It, it doesn't is. feel good to the people. It who doesn't that, right? feel good. It doesn't feel good. Because right? you're spending a buck fifty more for gas. inflation, your bread costs more, gas prices. But are you know up, what? Cable bill the, keeps going up. And Joe Paul, Biden's out there saying the economy's great. And, and people are saying it doesn't feel great to me. And then he can't combat that while Kevin McCarthy's saying, hey, stop giving money to Ukraine. Focus on inflation. Right. But so here's the problem. Losing, they're losing that messaging battle. Don't well, you but think? here's the problem. Here's the here's the inconsistency with the American people. Yeah. You're absolutely right in everything you just said. Yeah. But guess what? It hasn't stopped their spending. Oh, yeah, I know. But that I'm not I talking mean, about. Here, I, but no, but I'm just separate, saying separate but this issue, is the part. Though, right? I'm just talking the, about I want to talk about the scoreboard. Right. No, because but I, I, I'm this, but this this goes to the scoreboard yeah. and why the scoreboard is so screwed up. Yeah. Because when you're when you sit there and you say, well, I feel like the economy isn't great. Usually that translated. You're having a hard time paying your bills. You're having a hard time uh, getting daycare. You're having a hard time buying uh, the things you need. None of those things are true. People are people are spending as much now as they were before. One, two, job creation, as we just saw from the last job report. Yeah, it's come down, but it is not slowed. And right now, if we were in the throes of a bad economy, job creation, we wouldn't be, wouldn't have created 255,000 jobs last yeah. month. We would have yeah. created 25,000 jobs. So in other words, the markets would have contra- would be contracting. Employers would be like, you know what, we're not hiring anybody. In fact, we're going to fire people. Um, but that's not where we are. So what you're saying is exactly right. People feel things are not good. That's right. But they don't necessarily feel that for themselves. They may feel that about others because they're going to start spending the money. I think they're starting to, I think they feel it on gas prices. I think they feel it on interest rates. And if the housing market starts to even, you know, crumble a little bit, they're really going to feel it. Yeah, but that won't be till after the election. So we won't know about the housing market until after November. We're in heated agreement that it looks good for the Republicans. I want, in this show, we talk a lot about What's next? Other shows are talking about what now. I want to talk about what's next. So let's assume and I know there's a couple of variables on how the election could go. Your old party, the GOP, what's going to happen to it? Because we've got an ascendant, Liz Cheney. You've got Adam Kinzinger, who we've had on this show, and we've got others. Now you've got more independent uh, efforts underway that I want to talk about later. Mm-hmm. But but do you see the Republican Party fragmenting? And, and will it be led by a McCarthy on one side and Kinzinger and Cheney? I'm, t- I'm looking at Kinzinger and Cheney particularly 
where are they going to go? Are they going to stay in the GOP and try to fight it out? I don't break off and start their own thing. I I don't know uh, what they're going to do. I've I've talked to Adam more than I've talked to Liz. Adam has got, you know, projects underway that he's going to be involved with, involved with that I think will press the point. The GOP is going to be controlled by Donald Trump because that's what the GOP wants. So the party will will steep itself further into Trumpism. In fact, it's already the infection has already rooted itself because you don't even need Trump anymore. Trump is is not the relevant player anymore. Right. Presidential, we'll see what he does there, but by and large um, you know, you've got you've got the the next level with the Cary Lake out in Arizona, uh, DeSantis in Florida, et cetera, who are moving into that space where they're a better dressed up sounding version of Donald Trump. Yep. Um, and but they are no less uh, anti-democratic. They are no less um, authoritarian in their views. Um, but at the same time, um that leaves the question: Where where do these folks go? You know, does Liz make a make a bid uh, in a presidential effort? That's a possibility. I, I'm not wholly convinced she will. Um, the question is: What do guys like me do? I'm still in the party because it pisses. That's them my off, next so. question. I actually, I want that was my next question. I wanted to ask, and you specifically, because you're a bellwether for a lot of folks. You know, you you are still in the party. Yeah. Right? And and I, I've heard you talk. It sounds like you want to fight it out from the inside and try to push it in the right direction. But at what point does that stop? And, and is it after this election? I think it may be. It may be after this election. Uh, we'll see. It may be when we go through the nominating process. And if that's rigged like the last one, uh, which is already looks like it's being set up to be rigged uh, for Trump if he decides to run. Um, meaning the RNC is going to change its rules to accommodate whatever right. he wants or whatever he needs. Um, yeah, at that point, the, there, there's effectively nothing left. Um, and, you know, uh, so who's attract? So picking up on that, Michael, I mean, who is attractive to you? Right. It's not just about what you're leaving. It's what you're going to. And we've explored a lot on this show the landscape for independence. And I keep saying the solution to the broken two parties is not just another party. It has to be a full movement, right? Of independent voter reform, of public financing, of ranked choice voting, of open primaries, which I think is almost the the most underreported and maybe most important part of, of this entire landscape. But now we've got the forward party, right? And I've said it before, you know, our spirit animal is independence is not Andrew Yang. It's 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 yeah. George Washington. Yeah. But but do, w- does the forward party get you? Are they calling no. you? Hey, Michael, no, I, 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 I'm with you on that. Uh, I, I've been in the I've been in the room uh, in discussions with them, you know, as this was being created and formed. I, I put some suggestions from my years of experience of party building and organization, um, which weren't necessarily followed. That's fine. That's their choice. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think that that's the way you do it. There are a lot of other elements that need to be created and, and recognized before you get into the formal structure, um, because when you create the formal structure, with that comes expectations and people have expectations. And if out of the gate, you don't meet those expectations, you fall flat. So it goes to the heart of what you were saying about movement. People need to be moved towards something. They need to be moved by something. And if that is absent, then when you create this thing, they kind of look at it quizzically and go, well, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? 
Um, and if they don't see themselves reflected in it, especially, um, there's going to be less gravitation towards it. So that's that's the problem. I think the 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 energy is there. It's out in the country. More people want something other than what we have in the two parties right now. Um, the question is, how do you begin to organize that uh, into a a a a force that changes. Now, there's some examples of races where I think we can begin. Um, can I hold to, you on that for a second and just build build on that point? Because sure. I, think I want to come back to a central point we've been exploring, and I've been exploring a lot on this show, which is leadership. And what, what's lacking in the forward party, in my view, is transcendent, charismatic leadership. And on the other side of things, you know, Trumpism, MAGAism, in my view, is a movement, right? I've likened it to Al-Qaeda, to others. Sure. Right? Knock out one leader. It's bigger than Trump now. You've got Kerry Lake, you've got DeSantis, and it really is an ideology. It's a movement. But that is there are pieces of that on the independent side. But what's lacking is the charismatic leadership. If Colin Powell had run, you know, two decades ago, things would have been different. If The Rock runs tomorrow things are different. So, you know, was it a situation with the forward party where they kind of called you guys all up, went down a list and Christy Todd Whitman, who was on the show said yes. And you said no. And, and, and is there uh, a leader on the spectrum that would bring you over? I've talked about, we had Admiral Stravides on the show. We've had bring Mike me over, bring me over to what? To bring you over to something else, to something independent. It would depend. I mean, look, there are a lot of men and women who are capable of leading. It is what what is it they're leading? None I mean, of the that, above. If there's somebody who steps forward and says, I represent everybody who says none of the above, who doesn't want Donald Trump, who doesn't want Joe Biden, who doesn't want the Republican Party, who doesn't want the Democratic Party. If 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 the forward party gets, you know, Mike Mullen or Mike Bloomberg or or The Rock, I'm just using examples. Right. right? But but what does it take to get you to leave the Republican Party? You know, it's it's not it's not so much. Well, what it will take is what what happens inside the Republican Party itself is not necessarily what happens outside the party. Mm-hmm. Um, so that look, it, it, it it's like when I entered uh, the seminary uh, many, many years ago, um, you know, taking taking on a monastic life um, was a big decision uh, for me. Uh, so, but what I discovered was the hardest part wasn't going in. The hardest part was leaving. Mm. And, and so that's always, that's always true. I mean, it's why people say I didn't leave my party. My party left me, um, because people don't generally walk away from the thing that they have that sort of symbiotic connection to, um, you make a conscience, a conscientious choice to join up with these band of brothers and sisters for a philosophical and ideological uh, battle in the best sense of the word, right? Um, and uh, when that gets bastardized and stripped away and and forced into something that is unrecognizable, that's, and you're still here, but all this other stuff is now pulled in this different direction that's when you get this sense of, well, what the hell? I mean, I, <laughs> I what, got you, what got you, what got you to leave when you, when you were in the seminary, when you were in that world? It's, it's well, it's, it's how you, how you assess. It's a little, a little bit different that, you know, that it's tied into sense of vocation and, and called to service by God and how God is moving in your life. 
what I realized was God wanted me to have that experience um, in order to make me a better man for a better purpose somewhere else Mm -hmm. for a different another time. Mm -hmm. That very well may be the case in politics, where when I make that move, if I make that move, it will be for a better purpose. Mm. Um, And and so I I think that's how a lot of people look at it. So when you say, you know, who is the one person? Well, I don't know who that one person would be, but it would have to be built around or built into this, like you said, this movement, this idea. I don't think anybody, I've, I've talked about this a lot, Michael. I don't think anybody has a strategy. They don't. I don't think anybody has put forward a clear and, and, you know, I've said the goal, at least for me and for many folks that I talk to, needs to be something along the lines of, you know, a, a, a transformative movement that, 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 that improves or disrupts our electoral process and empowers independents and unaffiliated. It's like that right. is the goal for me, not right. getting one person elected, not building a party. It has to be fix our country. Right. And right. be a part of that and give voice to so many of us that don't have a voice. And, and the piece that I, I just want to kind of pull apart with you, especially is they're trading on your name, right? They have your good family name. They have your Jersey on their wall. You're on their roster and they've got Kinzinger and they've got Cheney and they've got you. And, you know, folks are chipping off one by one, but, but you could also argue that you're empowering them. You know, they're using your, your political currency and your good name to further their agenda. So, you know, I, I get that a lot of folks are waiting to see what happens in the election. They're waiting to see if they renominate Trump. But do you worry about that, about the fact that they're trading on your good name? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you do. Um, but here, you know, here's the thing at the at when it's all said and done, y- you still have to be about something. You still have to be for something. And one of the challenges that you that you immediately confront in this space is whether a Democrat or Republican moving into this space of of independent thinkers, independent approaches, et cetera, you still have a philosophical view on issues and policy. And how do you reconcile that under this new umbrella? So, I think I think that's I think that's doable. And I think this is where Yang fits. No, it's not. I think that, it is. I, th- I think the one thing that unites us all is that we do not want either of these two parties. And that may be a step to something else. But in order to break that hold and to empower the, the trillion plus people who can't vote in primaries right now, right? I think that the goal in uniting us in this phase, if it's a movement, it's gonna have phases, right? We don't need we can say abortion, you know, national security, inflation, we are united by one common goal, right? Which is to make sure everybody can vote in everything and that there are options for people beyond the two parties. And now that's, that's, I think, a level of clarity that may be too simple for people. Maybe, maybe no, I, I, people. I think it's, I think, I think you're, I think it's right. Um, it's just, it's none of the above. I agree with that, above. but that's practically not how it works. <laughs> It is though. It can, it can no, be. it's not. Because people are one issue nature, voters. People are one oh, issue I'm voters. I'm telling you, I've been in the room, dude. Yeah, human but, nature but, takes but that's over. the problem. But the problem is the rooms, right? I'm talking about the people outside the rooms. I'm, but I'm telling you, the break people up outside the room, the people outside the room, my friend, are no different than the people inside the room. Oh. Because they all they all bring at the end of the day, they all bring something to that table that's going to eh, just a little bit. Because now and this goes back to your initial point of how the leader is able to pull everyone together 
to play those those things down. That leader doesn't exist at the moment. Doesn't mean right. that he or she won't. Right. But under the current in the current environment, under the current circumstances, my point is what I've seen, having been in some of those rooms, not just with you know the forward party, but with other discussions um, um, around the country, is that at some point it comes down to okay, so how do we talk about these issues? Because part of this process is retraining how people approach politics. Yes. 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 All right. Yes. And and so as much as you and I would stand in agreement that, you know, you may be a D, I may be an R. I may be a D, you may be an R. We both may be I's. Whatever our political affiliation is, we agree that we're about our democracy, access to the ballot box, all those things that reinforces what makes this country work. That has nothing to do with abortion, has nothing mm-hmm. to do with economic policy, because you those things ebb and flow, they are what they are. But the underlying thing that girds all of that is our rights guaranteed by the Constitution. And we can agree on that. The problem then comes when you go to execute and implement and go, all right, this is what we're, when we go out, this is what we're going to say. And I, I saw this with the Yang thing. One of the first questions that people, people, not inside the room, people outside the room yeah. were asking where, well, what's, what's the forward party's position on X? And he's, and he's dying in it. He's dying in it. He's getting pummeled because he's the wrong guy. And I think I agree, but I'm just saying that. But but that goes to my point about the people outside. I think think we're we're in heated agreement a lot, Michael. I mean, what I've said a lot is that what independents are looking for is not an eagle who used to be a giant or a giant who used to be a 49er. They want somebody who's a rookie, who's never been in this league before, who's a rock star. And that's why when you see the rock come out, people want to dismiss it. And they say he gets 58 percent of the country. Well, it's true because he is a new entrant into politics. Trump had some of this. You know, Obama had maybe less of it, but I think people are looking for new talent. They want someone who's never been in that room before. They want a groundswell of, of new leaders, probably, you know, inclined toward young leaders. I think they can come from places like the military. They can come from places like law enforcement, from celebrity, from sports, right? And that's, I think, the kind of people that can transcend this and say, hey, I'm not, with all due respect, I'm not Michael Steele. I'm not Andrew Yang. I'm not Christy Ty Whitman. I'm a new player on this field. And I think that's the opportunity that I see that nobody's been able to capture yet. But I keep using The Rock as this as this figure to, to use to run the experiment. Right. It could have been Oprah years ago. It could have been uh, Schwarzenegger. It could have been Colin Powell. We can. But it was. Game. But that's my point. I get Schwarzenegger was that guy. Yeah. Schwarzenegger was The Rock. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That didn't end too well. But he's. Yeah. But I think I don't think you can dismiss it because they didn't go all the way. No, I mean, he, I'm not. I'm was, not dismissing it. I'm just saying he was that, a governor. He got go, he got governor. He got the go, he got the governorship. But my point my point is, and we we saw it. We saw it um, out in Minnesota. We've seen it elsewhere. Yeah, where you know Ross Perot got yes. very close. Right. the The trick is how do you translate that that it factor that grabs everybody's attention in the first instance, whether you're The Rock, Ross Perot, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
and then grow it and sustain it as the system collapses in on you. And multiply it. And multiply it. So you've got many many rocks all across. That's that's what I'm looking for. It's a comprehensive strategy where let's just run this through. The rock is on top and the rock picks 50 candidates to run in 50 states. And how does he do that? How, how does he do that? Yeah, how does he I do mean, that? It, where, me, where does he get look, those? Where does he get those fifty likes? You start by doing from? it. You start, I think you start by doing it, right? I mean, Andrew Yang had about a forty percent complete plan when he ran with it. I don't right. think the Rock needs to have a hundred percent. No, I'm not saying. But my my point is, Andrew Yang relied on Democrats to to help get what he did, and then and then kick the Democrats to the curb, which is why they don't want to do jack with him right now. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. he used them to sort of build his thing and whatever. Um, so my question is part of the, part of the challenge, and it goes back to what I just said a little bit ago about how we retrain the electorate to look at politics. You know, I've always contended for the last 20 years. And from my experience, you cannot build a third way from the top down. It has to come from the bottom up. Right. So it starts by electing city council members, mayors. A lot of mayors in this country run in nonpartisan elections. They they are they they may be registered um, one thing or not. They can't be. They maybe have ideology in the Republican or Democratic Party, but they they have to run as independent players because these are nonpartisan races, right? That's a seedbed. I learned when I was a county chairman here in Prince George's County. Uh, we only have 58,000 Republicans out of 800,000 people, registered Republicans. Mm. But you know what I found? That of our 52 municipalities, half of them were being run by Republicans mm. because they were unaffiliated. They were nonpartisan, but they were ideologically Republican. They were philosophically conservative or center right. And they ran their, their cities and their towns very, very well. They managed them well. So when they were freed of that label, when they were freed of the baggage of party, they were able to govern better. Yes. So for that rock style candidate that you're talking about, the the emphasis and the challenge will be not looking at who do we run for Congress or who do we run for the U.S. Senate, but who's our candidate for mayor? Right. Who's our candidate for the state legislature? Right. Right. To be honest, that's how I won as many seats as I ran right. won in 2010. Right. Right. I didn't focus on congressional races. I focused on state legislative races, right. mayors, and 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 city council members, because for me it was about building from the ground up, and so that I think will help develop and emerge the energy you're referring yeah. to uh, for that individual. Because it's not, they're not going to find it up here. No, what they're going to find up here is a lot of this. I think that's right. I mean, some of it has to do with timing. Sure. Some of it has to do with values. And if you can articulate those values and make them durable and scalable, some of it has to do with charismatic leadership. And I keep talking about this as, as, as an unlikely example, but look at Zelensky. I mean, nobody thought that Zelensky was going to rise to this moment. He was an outsider that people were dismissing. I mean, we've seen it happen from Ronald Reagan all the way to, to Zelensky. So I think if those things can come together under a truly 
um, durable uh, strategy, a real strategy led by a leader that's also got the funding and the other elements. That's not just saying, you know, we are the alternative. We are a alternative. We're right. the front. We're the forward edge of the spear. We're going to break it apart. We expect other follow on forces to come. That's what a, a real movement does. And I think that's how the transformative change happens. I, I, think, I would not. I would not disagree with any of that. Well, I think we. We have to continue that part of the conversation another time. Let me ask you to go around the horn quickly. Talking about leaders, can I ask you to make some rapid fire picks here? We'll play a little PTI and I'll ask sure. you to run through some of the biggest races. Also, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention there's also a battle for open primaries happening in Pennsylvania. Yes. Led by someone like that, that Rocky Blyer. Rocky Blyer, Vietnam veteran and NFL legend. You put those two things together. That's the kind of person that can, I think, transcend. And he's pushing for open primaries. We've talked about it on this show. Let's stay in, in Pennsylvania and ask you, Fetterman or Oz, who's going to win? Oz. Oz. And, and do you see it? I mean, isn't this another example? I was just in be? Pennsylvania. I was just in Pennsylvania a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, Fetterman is, is getting hammered. Uh, on the crime issue. Um, and the health, I think the health, his health questions uh, belie that hammering. So it makes mm -hmm. that hammering a little bit easier for people. Mm -hmm. um, they they don't want to seem like they're, you know, anti-health. Uh, so they won't say, oh yeah, I can't support him because I'm concerned about, you know, his stroke situation. So the crime thing works. Um, I think uh, you're going to see a bifurcation of votes in, in, in a couple of states. And this is one where the Democrat will win the governorship. The Republicans will win the Senate. Mm. Now, again, a lot can happen in the next three weeks. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ten days ago, two weeks ago, before I went up to uh, Philadelphia and spent time with a mix of people from across the state, um, I, I, I thought Fetterman had um, slowed momentum, but was still. I think that's right. I mean, I still, think that there's a part leading. you you and I could bang on Democrats all day long here. I think there's a really important part of Fetterman that people are missing. The issue with Fetterman is not his health. It's his transparency about his health. His health, right. It's his honesty. And that is what people are questioning. And you can beat me up all day about that. But I think that's what you see is when he when he agrees to a certain structure, he's not fully letting go of all his medical records. And then you hammer him on crime and you hammer him on being too liberal. All that comes together. But the piece that I think independents especially are looking for is integrity. And in a state like Pennsylvania, where the swing is pushing from the Republican side, the default is going to be to pick the party over the person. And I just don't think Fetterman is is trusted. I don't think they trust Oz either, but they trust the Republican brand more than the Democratic brand. So the default goes down one more. Yeah. And I think it is also lends itself that Pennsylvania is, is slightly more conservative than it is liberal, putting it in those terms. Um, it's a little bit more red than blue. hundred percent. But. Um, having said that, uh, again, uh, if if the Republicans had nominated the other guy, mm -hmm. <laughs> the mm -hmm. businessman, this wouldn't even be a race. It, it mm -hmm. wouldn't even we wouldn't even be asking about the Senate race in, in Pennsylvania. So, but look, I, I will I will hedge on the back end just a bit because I, I know how data works. Um, I, I'm not discounting Fetterman pulling it out because he's got a good organization. Um, and, you know, he's going to get a lot of help in 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 the more urban centers of Pennsylvania, um, like Philly um, and so forth. So 
if he's got if he's got his ground game together, yeah, he can pull it out. But I think right now he's been hampered by his health issues, questions, and I think you put it the exact way people see it. Um, and uh, on the health piece, and of course the crime issue. Uh, and Oz, interestingly, enough, real, real quick on Oz, my prediction on Oz is should he win. He is not going to be the Trump Republican I think people think he's going to be. I think that's right. I, I think I think that, uh, yeah, it's kind of helped him with the primary, but there's something about him that strikes me like, mm, you know, I just, I'm not going to go out like that. And mm-hmm. and I think he's going to try to be a good senator. Well, and he's, uh, he's, he's, we'll not, see. he's not as dumb and sloppy as his campaign has been. Right. And, and, and I think right. that, that's, you know, campaigns are one thing to right. your point, governing and, and being in the Senate is another thing. And he may be better at that part of the game than this part of the game. But let, let's keep going around the horn. Ohio, Tim Ryan versus J.D. Vance, another one that is high profile, that has been a slugfest. I've known Tim Ryan a long time from his time in Congress. Same here. Um, and he's always been, frankly, earnest and hardworking. And his messaging is kind of like Pat Ryan's on steroids. Right. I mean, yeah. it's you take that 19th congressional district in New York and you bring it over to Ohio and die. Yeah, that's up, pretty right? much it. Yeah. Right. Um, what's your prediction on that one? Uh, advantage, Ryan. Advantage, Ryan. I think I think uh, J.D. again, tight race, Ohio, red state. Um, but I think for a lot of the reasons that you ascribe to um, uh, the Pennsylvania race, uh, in terms of the candidate and how voters perceive them, I think that's the case with Ryan. I, I think, think that's tr- right. I think they trust him, uh, and they, he's a little bit more living room couch than than uh, than anything else. So mm. yeah. So here, so let's keep going around the horn to to one that is, um, I think, even more complex, complicated, fiery. Uh, Georgia Governor Stacey Abrams versus Brian Kemp. Because uh, Kemp will like win him. that race. That's another bifurcated race where the voters are going to vote Democrat for uh, Republican for governor and Democrat for Senate. So and that was my next question was was Warnock versus Herschel Walker. And who are you picking? Warnock, there? Warnock will win that. I, I think the the abortion question um, has. Um, has hurt uh, Walker in a way that. Um, it, it, it's profound with a lot of voters. I think, you know, I, I think they again, you put your finger on the the thread that that is so important for voters. Can I trust you? Are you honest? Can I believe you? Um, and while they have that question with Fetterman and his health records, they have that question with uh, Walker uh, and his private life. So and can the we- fact, you know, the fact that that's out there, I, I think, hurts. I mean, right. In fact, the numbers since this is all happen, uh, Warnock has picked up like two, three points. I I, I think I want to ask you this because I feel like it's the part of politics that nobody talks about race in both of those races. Um, How does race? I mean, you've got a black woman against a white man then you've got a black man against a black man in Georgia. I I don't think I don't think it. um, I don't think the race issue plays the same way. you know, I, I I can speak about cynical racism in elevating Walker to the position that he's wholly incapable and, and, and incompetent to hold. Um, and, and there were better candidates, I think, uh, that would have made that race uh, a better race for the GOP. Um, but I think 
less race in uh, Stacy's case and more sexism. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. America. You know, the one thing we don't talk about in this country mm -hmm. is how puritanical we are when it comes mm -hmm. to women. So can we take that forward to the next race I want to bring up with you, which is Florida Senate, Marco Rubio versus Val Demings. So did uh, I have one. Did you see that debate? Yes. And that's why I want to ask you, because I said, Woo, I, said this on I said this on Twitter last night. Uh, an experienced cop is like kryptonite to Rubio's bullshit. And, oh, and it oh also offsets it. I mean, if we're talking about race, we're talking about gender. If you want to offset that, you either find a veteran and you become Tulsi Gabbard or you find a cop and you're Val Demings. And it gets you those points and that traction that maybe overcomes this, some of the sexism and racism. But where do you see that race going? That that was a Marco Rubio wasn't slam dunk, but it was Marco's after last night. And that that aired all over the state. Um, she, someone referred to it um, as an ass kicking, ass whipping. That doesn't begin to describe what she did to him last night. Um, and at one point when she looked at him, she was standing looking at him and she was like, so how many, how many more times, you know, with the, you know, a fourth grader, high school, that yep. da, 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 with people dying. You know better, right? And then she then she came back, whipped back around at another point and said, you know, you know, Marco, I'm just surprised. I, I didn't think you were that person who would lie to win. And the camera cut to him and he looked like a young kid who'd just been chastised by his mom, who, who knew better. That image, I, I you know. You know what he looked I, like, Michael? He looked like a punk who had never been in a fight. Boom! With someone who, who knows how to fight. Boom. He looked like a punk who'd been talking shit for a long time, and someone who knows how to throw a punch looked him right in the eye and put it right on his face. Put it right in his face. Now, here's the rub. Probably in any other state, this race is over. Val Demings is the next senator. Yeah. But it's Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't see voters necessarily saying, as we discussed in Pennsylvania and Georgia, I'm going to vote red for the governorship and blue for the Senate. Um, Florida is is becoming where it was once more purple and it was a battleground. It is much more red now. Uh, the panhandle, uh, the I-4 corridor, um, the Hispanic community across the states, particularly Puerto Ricans and Cubans. Um, I don't know how they're reading her. Uh, and if they read her in a way that you and I've just described as someone who's going to really fight for people in the state then she should win this race. Um, uh, and but I, I, I'm I, I'm going to give the advantage to Marco by virtue of the fact that the state is what it is. Um, so, and, Michael, is 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 every one of these races that we're talking about kind of a weather check on how racist the state is in this year? I mean, is, is that is that that's yeah. It, yeah, it can be. Sure. Absolutely. Look, you've got a number of African-American candidates running for a variety of offices across the country on both sides of the aisle. Um, and a lot of those are women. And, and so there are some very interesting political dynamics that are starting to unfold uh, right now when it comes to um, how the country sees itself and how it wants to govern itself and who they want. To govern us. Uh, and so you look at the interesting thing for me on the back end of this election will be to look to see where those seats were won, who won them, 
um, how badly they lost if they lose, how much they won by, because that's going to set up what happens in 24 yep. and in the next cycles. And and I think going back to what I was saying before about Stacey Abrams, Stacey did a lot to bring voters into the game in Georgia, change the dynamics there, played a big part in, in helping Democrats pick up two Senate seats. Um, but now those voters are being asked to decide who they want to govern them. Mm-hmm. And out of the 50 states, how many women do we have as governors? Not 25, no. not 30. So, you know, that becomes another aspect of this that plays itself out that people, you know, want to say, oh, it's because, you know, she's liberal and she's a-. no, it's because she's a she. Yeah. Um, and and that candidate didn't win because they're Hispanic or they didn't win because they're black. Um, so there there are these aspects are, are are being challenged much more now in these elections because more people are getting in. Yep. Uh, and and so how the country's responding to your point is going to be a very interesting tell uh, after this election. Well, I think, you know, what we almost need to do is an annual uh like reverse power rankings for yeah. sexism and racism, right? Like if you put it up on the board, like we know where the Eagles are, right? right. We know where the Jags are. Right. If we're going to talk honestly on racism, we know where Maryland is, right? right? And we know where Alabama is, right? Right. right. And right. I think this is, this uh, demographics or destiny is in, in politics, in my view. That's why turnout matters so much because you're not just turning people out. You know the age, you know the gender, you know the race, you know yep. the socioeconomic class. Yep. It's not just about turning out people. It's about turning out your people, the people that you know are exactly vote for you. And I think that's where the Democrats are overestimating the, the Pat Ryan win and some of these other win, wins that were special elections that they think were about abortion. I think it always comes back to those core um, identity politics issues. And those are they different do. in every state. And you've got to have an understanding of them. So let me take you to the last one. Well, it's real quick on that point, because uh, I, I don't I don't want to uh, let that go without saying I agree with you with respect to those special election races and, and, and how Dems may look at them. But you also cannot discount the fact that Democrats overperformed um, in in many of those rec- in races, but more specifically, there is a story behind Kansas, and I I think Republicans um, whistle past that graveyard if they don't take it seriously mm-hmm. and look at the fact that that red state made a statement about abortion. A lot of Republican women I know who are pro life. Um, are not supporting Republican candidates in their districts, in in their cities or wherever, um, if they have a hard line on abortion. Um, and and so you can't assume that everybody on your team is buying every play you're putting on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen just this past weekend players blow up with their coaches, right? Uh, because the play that they called was a bullshit play and they're like, why didn't you do that? You know that play wasn't mm-hmm. going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, I think we need to be careful about that. And it goes to the broader question about the dynamics of this election cycle, the things that are influencing voters ultimately. Yes, the economy, but there's the these underlying issues: abortion, democracy, et cetera, that are influencing how they ultimately will vote because they're not just going to vote on the economy. 
And I think that's going to be the part that I'm going to be looking at in election night. Well, so let me ask you, look at one last one on election night, one that we've covered a lot in this race. Uh, we've had one of the candidates on this show a number of times. I think it's one of the more interesting mm-hmm. and potentially transformative races. Evan McMullen versus Mike Lee in Utah. Right. Well, I know you've supported Evan McMullen. Yes. We've had him on this show. I think this is the most important election for independence in a generation. I mean, this this is you know, we don't have the rock. We don't have this this movement and this party, but we have one race. And this is a race that can be a case study on how independence can win. It's different in every state, of course. Right. Saw is right. different. Evan is different. Mike Lee is different. But how do you see this one going down? I see this one. Uh, I watched the debate with Mike Lee, and I've watched him subsequently on uh, Fox. He's scared. His internal numbers are showing him in trouble. Um, and I, I agree with everything you just said about this race. Uh I've known and worked with Evan going back to his bid in 2016. Um, I was immediately on board. In fact, he and I talked about this strategy a year before it actually executed it. Uh, Something that had been rolling around in my head. It just timed out that it was rolling in his. And he was like, you think we can do this? Yes, we get this piece and that piece. It works. Not only do we have the example here, but we also have um, an example at a state level in Washington state where we have a Republican running as an independent got um, for the state Senate, got uh, the Democrats to to buy into his candidacy. That could be again. This is the model. This is the future model of how to the earlier points you were making, uh, Paul, about um, about the, the strategy and the messenger and the message and the leadership. This is where it all comes into play. When we're able to identify campaigns case by case, race by race, in which you have an opportunity to turn the system in on itself, turn the system upside down. That's what Evan's done here. He negotiated um, a a relationship with the Democrats. They agreed to that relationship uh, and they're backing him and it's paying dividends. Mm -hmm. And it's saying to center right Republicans, they don't have to buy the status quo. They don't have to vote party anymore. They can vote for the person mm. that best represents their future opportunities. And I think Evan's done that massively. Uh, and, and so the fact that you've got Mike Lee out here now stumbling you know, on Fox over, uh, you know, explain, trying to explain why he's, you know, this close or tied or behind, um, that's a good place to be in right now. So I, I, I think Evan pulls that race out. Um, I think the organization is going to be there on the ground. Uh, I think voters in Utah are ready. I think they've been disappointed. Uh, the, the handprint, or put another way, Mike Lee's fingerprints on January 6th does not set well with a lot of those voters. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how he tries to explain, he was actually trying to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. <laughs> after, after the coup didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so well, and also, you know, the uh, the X factor there that I keep coming back to is a national security experience. He's a CIA yes. officer. Yes. You know, if you're a CIA officer, somebody told me once, you know, cops, coaches, and vets get three points in any congressional election. I mean, you get you get some traction from being, you know, in the CIA, in the military. It might be just enough to put you over the top, but you also get that trust and that integrity that will get someone right. to break with parties. So we talked about timing. We talked about leadership. I mean, if if he wins. He's the king of the independence by default. 
right? Yeah, and, and I right. think the other factor that, that, that can change this entire dynamic that I don't know if I've said on this show before, but I've said in some private conversations is Biden and Trump are up against each other. If one of them dies, this all breaks apart. Yeah. Like the whole thing is disrupted. And then is there a moment for different factions, multiple parties to seize on the chaos or, you know, unfortunately, one of the other forces could seize on that chaos. But I think that there's a couple of those dynamic factors that could really upset the apple cart. And and someone like Evan McMullen is, is going to be in a position at least to guide the conversation. Like he's going to yeah, no, mic away from Andrew Yang and say, look, you know, Andrew, it's nice what you're doing over there. I'm in the Senate. Okay, and let me talk to you about how we won in the Senate. And it wasn't a forward party strategy. It was a a strategy to win. Right. That was focused on one thing. And I think that's really exciting. Um, This is really people back. It was calling people back to basics, to basic principles. Yeah. Um, And and. He's made everything, every argument about how he's going to serve the people of Utah. And he's showing what, Michael, we talked about this. You got a lot of people who've never taken a punch. You got quarterbacks who've never been hit. And Rubio and Mike Lee and so many others are quarterbacks that have never really been hit. Right. Now you're seeing them get hit and you're seeing what happens. You see what happens. That's right. Exactly. I know. I don't know if you have a couple minutes to stick around. Sure, sure. Patreon uh, members, we're going to give you some extras with 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 the great Michael Steele afterward. We're going to ask him his favorite drink and first car and some other things. But let me end with with one last thing here. Uh, who are you picking to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> uh, Buffalo. Wow. You think I, I just it? think I, I I just like I just like everything they're doing. Um, I, I I think they 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 just bring um, a whole different vibe to the game. Uh, they're fun to watch. Um, when your quarterback is, you know, leaping over, over, you know, linebackers, you just, dude, you just got to sit there and go, yeah, this is, this brought, I mean, this man is delivering hits. Leadership. I mean, and that's it. Jared Allen is like, you know, it's true in the NFL. They used to say defenses win championships. And I believe quarterbacks win championships. Now in this in this in this league, yeah. Now, absolutely. And I, and I think in politics too. I think it's it's the candidate more than anything else, and the candidate can transcend. I mean, I I, I got to ask you one more uh, last one here. You're going to run again. You're going. What are you going to do? Are you going to get back into politics? I you know I'd like get to you in on this. If, if would you run as an independent? I, I would. I mean, I have I have no problem. I have no problem looking at that. Um, depending on um, the landscape, I mean, Maryland's a very different environment. We're outnumbered two to one by Democrats here in registration. But Larry Hogan has proved we proved back when I got elected in two thousand two uh, with Bob Ehrlich that there is there is a lane that we can run um, and as Republicans and be effective. Um, but after this last cycle with the the candidates that the party nominated, the the infection of Trumpism inside the Republican GOP, uh, the Maryland GOP. Um, yeah, you're going to have to look around and see what other opportunities out there. So we'll see. Uh, we've got a very interesting Senate race coming up um, in t- in 24. Um, I think uh, Ben Cardin, who I launched when he ran for the Senate, I ran for the Senate in 2006, was the first when that seat opened up. Uh, he won that battle. Uh, my suspicion is that he probably is going to be stepping down, which means it'll be an open seat again. And 
we may have a little fun with that. I, you know, I tell folks, y'all, y'all don't want me inside the room with you because I don't play well with others. Because <laughs> well, I'm all about the business, baby. We're here for a reason. Let's get it done. Let's well, get it I done. Hope, I hope you will keep coming in this room. And uh, absolutely, you know, you've been you've been lead blocker, quarterback, GM. You know, you've run the full spectrum. And I, I also want to thank you for your patriotism, for your service, for your leadership. Uh, and for your example, you know, you, you've been in some tough fights and I think you've always carried yourself in a way that our kids can look up to and I can look up to and others can look up to. And I, I hope you can be part of this transformation of our process. I hope you run as an independent. And I just want to thank you for for all that you do, my friend. No, nah, man, thank you. No, nah, same back at you, brother. I, I've watched you. I, I've been a huge fan and admirer of your stick your ability uh, to make the case. Um, whenever, whenever you were on our air at MSNBC, I just kind of stopped, turned the sound off and just listen, dude. I mean, it's, it, you've been, you, you bring it smart, you keep it real and that's hard to do when you're buffeted by a whole lot of BS. You know how that goes. And well, let's so, talk, let's talk about, not only do we need to break up the parties, we need to break up the big media. So maybe we can, uh, don't even get me started on that. Uh, well, that, that'll be the follow-up conversation, but MSNBC <laughs> in my view, has gone a different direction, too, and is part of the problem now that we both know from the inside and the outside. So we'll pick that up another time. Until then, maybe I'll meet you at the Super Bowl, and we can kick this conversation off again. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, bro. My friend, the great and powerful Michael Steele. Stay vigilant, my friend. All right, you too. Michael Steele is one to watch. If he leaves the GOP, others will follow. The question is, where will they go? Watch this space and be sure to watch him as a host on MSNBC. Watch him maybe in a run for Senate and check him out on his own podcast, The Michael Steele Podcast. Whether you agree with his politics or his predictions, one thing is certain. He's been in the big leagues for a long time and will be for a long time to come. And He cares deeply about our country, and he's doing what he can in his way to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. We see it every day, people stepping up to the plate. So look for the helpers. They're out there across the country and across the world. And I'll continue to post them all the time on social media using the hashtag look for the helpers, including this video. Now that's a video posted from Iran, posted by an 80-year-old woman after 80 years of wearing a hijab. Gohar Ezgi took her hijab off, she says, because of a religion that is killing people. She called people not coming out to the streets to protest cowards. Gohar is the mother of Satar Behisi, an Iranian blogger who was killed by the Islamic Republic in 2012. And now she's raising her voice. She is one of the many brave people inside Iran standing up for freedom at 80 years old. 
and it was posted by Masa Alinejad. Masa Alinejad is an Iranian journalist and activist. She's been all over the media. She founded White Wednesdays and My Camera is a Weapon and Let Us Talk and someone I hope we'll have on this show down the line. She's another true helper. But look for the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. You guys continue to guess this week, Theo Demel from New York, New York, who is a political teenage clout demon, gave it a shot. And Theo guessed David Axelrod, which was a darn good guess. Close, but just outside Theo. Two of you so far, at least by the time of my recording, did nail this. Our friend Andrew Morrison, who's got a very high batting average when it comes to guess the guess, he correctly guessed Michael Steele. Congratulations, Andrew. And our MVP of guess the guess, our Hall of Famer, our GOAT of guess the guess. You know who I'm talking about. Delfino Sanchez correctly guessed the great and powerful Michael Steele. And he said he enjoyed a solid dose of the five eyes last week with Professor Galloway. He said Harrison Bader had some clutch moments in the last series. Talking about my Yankees. Yes, Harrison Bader. I love Harrison Bader. He is maybe my second favorite Yankee behind Aaron Judge. Most of all, because he's from New York. The kid's from the Bronx, and now he's playing center field. He's like living my dream. But anyway... Delfino continues to live the dream, continues to do good work down in Houston, Texas at Aldine Tree Services, Houston Stump Grinding. I think, Delfino, me and you are going to have to make a little wager on this series between your Houston Astros and my New York Yankees. So I'm going to do what these governors do. I'm going to put up something uniquely New York that I'm going to send to you if your Houston Astros win. But if my New York Yankees win, you have to send me something that is uniquely Houston. All right, Delfino, how's that sound, man? I hope you enjoy the playoffs. And everybody else out there, enjoy the playoffs and enjoy Guest the Guest every Wednesday night. You can also go over to independentamericans.us and check out much more about this show. You can check out our gear that you can rock proudly this season. And you can see video of my conversation with Michael Steele. It's great. You can see inside my apartment. It is now much more cleaned up and it is filled with Yankee gear that's not exactly on screen, but... Pretty much one of us in the house is rocking a Yankee jersey almost every day. You can also, of course, check us out on YouTube and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Be a team player. Do us a solid. Check us out. Subscribe and share and leave a review. We continue to get great reviews, including one from my friend Perry Jeffries down in Texas. Perry said the show continues to excel, but he really liked the last two weeks with Professor Serencioni and Malcolm Nance as a pair. Great analysis and predictions on the Ukraine war. He always appreciates the independent streak and tightening up the openings means it's easier to listen to it. Man, you know what? Getting a lot of good feedback on that. I will continue to try to tighten the openings and I'm going to continue to try to keep these shows around an hour. I know this one was a little long. We got some extra innings here, but I hope it was worth it and entertaining and informative for you. Perry also said the guests and Paul's ability to get real information, light over heat from them, is laudable. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Perry Jeffries and everybody down in Texas and across the country. Be like Perry. Leave us a review wherever you heard this podcast. And you can also support this show by going to our Patreon community. Be a part of our team. Be an MVP. Join our Patreon community. You can find out more at independentamericans.us or go to Patreon and look for Independent Americans. There are new recruits on this team every single day, including Ray Skidmore. Great name. Ray Skidmore, now batting for Independent Americans. Welcome to the team. Thank you for joining our lineup and continuing to help me bring the powerful lineup of the five eyes in all our podcasts and everything we do. If you don't know, 
It's independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. It's like our murderer's row in our lineup. And speaking of a powerful lineup, the Righteous Media team continues to hit dingers all across the content landscape. Creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez all leading the way for this team. And the ultimate cleanup hitters, my wife and two boys, love them very much, and they continue to be huge in the clutch. It's a big week of debates and big races, big political races, but also big car races. If you haven't heard, F1 is in America this week, Formula One, and the wheels of steel will be rolling. The U.S. Grand Prix is in Austin, Texas this weekend, so that's huge. And if you're not an F1 fan, now's a good time to get on board, y'all. And speaking of Texas, we've got the Yankees versus the Astros. And on the other side, we've got the Padres from San Diego against the Philadelphia Phillies. Baseball and hockey have started. Football is rocking. And it's a fun season. But we always keep it in perspective. Or we're waking up to check the baseball scores every morning. We're also checking rocket attacks in Kiev. Because we have the luxury of sports here. We have the luxury of focusing on that scoreboard instead of the death toll in our hometown. Because our friends in Ukraine are still on the front lines. And people are bravely inside Iran fighting for freedom and so many other places around the globe. I was talking to my son about perspective and about what kids in Ukraine might be going through right now. And he looked at me and he said, Daddy, if I were president, I'd make rescue bots to go fight the bad guys. And I'd put them in jail. And I'd take away their weapons. Well, that kid's got it right. Especially this playoff season and this election season. We're all in this together. We're taking on the big monsters. We're fighting against the biggest threats. Russia extremism, the two-party duopoly, apathy, indifference. We're all in this together. We're all on one team. And that can be a winning team. If we stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone this season. You're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. And we're all in it together this playoff season. From Houston, Texas, to the Bronx, New York. From San Diego, California, to Philadelphia, PA, from Kiev to Tehran to Washington, D.C., from De La Soul to Taylor Swift to Outcast, from Gohar Eshki to Michael Steele to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin, Slava Ukraini. And let's go, Yanks! And stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.